Is it me, or does it seem like relationships today are more complicated than they ever used to be? Is that me? Are relationships more complicated? I think relationships seem very complicated today. We all want relationships, but we seem to find them so hard. And today we have all this special language now for the struggles we have. So is anyone here filled with social anxiety? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think we, we have terms for these things now because we find relationships challenging, social anxiety. Uh, is it me or are you sometimes terrified of causing offence? So terrified of causing offence because, I mean, can I be forgiven? Is there a way back from that? I mean, relationships seem so hard. Relationships seem so complicated. Indeed, there are so many challenging and complicated relationships. We have a special term for some that we call toxic relationships. And I hope to to God you're you're not involved in one of those. (laughs) Relationships today seem very complicated, don't they? But here in the Bible, in God's word, we find out that in the church, because of the Christian gospel, Relationships can be different. Indeed, relationships should be different. The good news of the Christian faith is that we have been forgiven by God. And if we can be forgiven by God for how we've treated him, then we can forgive others. In the church, we can forgive and forgive and forgive again. Now, let me say, that is countercultural, isn't it? That is an absolute revolution in our world. And it happens here, in the church. Have you noticed that revolution? Do you want to be part of it? I pray that you would. Now, you might say to me this morning, Ollie, I've heard this all before. Forgiveness, yeah, I know all about that. Well, I hope you do know about forgiveness. But I hope you can see that in a world full of messy relationships, traumatic relationships, miscommunication, insecurity, mistakes and sin, that'll happen time and again, of course. I hope you'll see that Jesus' revolutionary teaching on forgiveness is something we all need. And we need refreshing in it. We need to return to the nature of forgiveness time and time again. So, look, whether you're young or old, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether today you're feeling hurt or feeling guilty, we all face challenges in relationships. But the Bible speaks a wonderful truth to the church. Forgive. Forgive. Because God has forgiven you. So turn with me, um, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 18. This morning I'd like us to see two things. Firstly, I'd like to see Jesus' instructions. Jesus' instructions for forgiveness and for seeking reconciliation. Jesus has um, set down some instructions. Indeed, actually, in Grace Church's new uh, constitution and so forth, we've tried to set out some of those instructions that we might be encouraged to live them out. So I'd like us to see Jesus' instructions uh, here. But I'd like us also to see the impulse that Jesus shows us, the impulse for forgiveness. So firstly then, Jesus' instructions for forgiveness. Look with me, uh, please, at verse 
15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, your brother or your sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. So here's Jesus' instructions. Jesus says, if you've been hurt by someone in the church, first thing you do is speak to the person involved. Now, we'll see in a minute, you don't go and speak to the person involved to tell them off or to get a bit of a revenge. No, you go with a heart willing to forgive that you might be restored to them and them to you. It's about reconciliation. Jesus says, if your brother sins again, you go and go and speak to the person. Tell them their fault between you and him alone. Notice that. Speak directly to the person and alone. In other words, if you're hurt, don't post about it on Facebook. Now, isn't that revolutionary? Don't post about it on Facebook. Don't ring your friend and tell them all about it. Speak to the person involved. Sometimes it seems the hardest thing in the world to do to speak to the person involved, but that's Jesus' command here, isn't it? And it's important. Imagine you came down, imagine you had a friend or family member staying with you, and you came down to breakfast and you were given the cold shoulder. Maybe it's your brother or something. And you say to your brother, I'm putting the kettle on, do you fancy a cup of tea? And they say nothing and they leave the room. You ask someone else, and hey, what's wrong with, uh, what's wrong with him? Oh, don't you know? We all know. We all know about that. You see how terribly unfair and unkind that is. Jesus says, if there's a hurt, speak to the person involved. In other words, don't talk about a person who's hurt you. Talk to them with a desire in your heart that things might be made right again. One implication of this is that if we're struggling... If we cannot or will not speak to the person involved in a hurt, well, then we shouldn't very well keep holding that hurt against them. If it's not a big enough issue, if it's not a significant enough issue to speak to the person about it, then we must stop holding it against them. If if your brother or your sister has hurt you, sinned against you, then speak to them and, and notice for why. Because if he listens to you, Jesus says, you have gained a brother. What is at stake here is gaining a member of your family. What would you do if I told you you could regain a member of your family you had lost? (laughs) What would you do? You would go after it with everything you'd got. You'd cry, you'd weep for joy, you'd rejoice. You'd, You'd absolutely go at it, wouldn't you? Reunited. Friends once more, you do anything to gain a member of the family back, so it is to be amongst my people, Jesus says, in the church. Let me ask you this morning then, has someone hurt you? Are you feeling hurt in church life? Let me say, I wouldn't be surprised if that were true. We are, after all, a company of sinners. Forgiven sinners, but still sinners. (laughs) Are you feeling hurt? Well, that person is family. Will you speak to them? Will you love them enough? Will Indeed, will you love everyone <laughs> enough to not allow a spirit of unforgiveness to creep into our company of the forgiven? Speak to the person involved. But look, verse 16, Jesus says, but if he, or indeed she, does not listen, 
Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the brother or sister doesn't listen, speak to the person with others, with witnesses. Now, oh, does this start to feel a bit uncomfortable? <laughs> Is this like, ah, oh, re- what? Really? Ah. We tend to think, don't we, our grievances and our problems and our issues are always personal and private. It seems here Jesus thinks differently. Problems in the church are not individual problems. They are problems corporately. So then if you, if an issue can't be sorted out between two people, well, Jesus says, well, this matters. Forgiveness matters. We want to get others involved. Jesus says, take some others with you. And I take it that these are genuine others, right? They're going to establish a case. They want to, want to find out what's happened. Maybe it's people with authority. Maybe it's the church elders. Maybe it's people who just care about everyone involved. And they're here because they want a penny drop moment to happen. This matters. You're not supposed to be at war. We're supposed to be together, forgiven by the Lord Jesus. We just want to hear this out. Let's establish fault. Let's have sins confessed. Let's have repentance happen and forgiveness granted. Let's make this right. And if we can help, we want to help. Bring others, those helps with you. Jesus doesn't want disruption and pain to splinter his church family any more than it might. So others might get involved. Forgiveness isn't an individual issue. It's a corporate issue. Christ's church is supposed to be a family of the forgiven, forgiving. And I think this moment of others coming along, it sounds awful, but I think it's supposed to be like, um, have you ever had that moment at a birthday party? Where someone you invited doesn't come, uh, you invite someone and you never expect them to come. And then they show up, show up and you're like, I can't believe you came. And it's kind of like that here. Here's some, some people show up. I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you want to talk about this. Because it matters. Others are to get involved. It matters. Well, Jesus says, thirdly though, if that doesn't work, Speak to the church. That's in verse 17, isn't it? Jesus says, if someone won't listen, won't hear out the issue, you need to tell the church. You need to mobilize the whole church family. Do you know, sometimes it's not the pastor, pastors. It's not the elders who can get through to someone sometimes. Did you know that? That may be a shock for you today to know that, but sometimes... Elders and pastors can't get through to everyone. Sometimes it'd be the person you least expect, the quiet person, the person who speaks to you through their tears and gets through in that situation of relational breakdown. Jesus says, if it comes to it, forgiveness matters so much that you mobilise the whole church family. The whole church membership would get involved. I wonder, did you realise that's what you're part of as part of a local church? As a church family, we're supposed to be so committed to the love and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus that we're committed to make sure that forgiveness happens amongst all of us. 
Jesus has made us safe and secure with the Lord God Almighty, hasn't he? Forgiven. And he wants us to feel safe and secure and forgiven as brothers and sisters. He doesn't want that disunity, that strife. He wants forgiveness so much so that he'd have us all work at it all together. Now, of course, it, it won't be helpful to get the whole church family involved straight away in, a, in an issue of breakdown. It's probably not helpful. It's probably not necessary to do that right away. It's not the first thing Jesus says, is it? But if it really came to it, Jesus says, tell the church. Does that shock you? What does it tell you, tell you about yourself if it does? And he says, tell the church, and this is hard to hear, because actually it, it's almost the last recourse. Jesus says, if you try this, it means you've tried almost everything. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 with me. If this person refuses to listen to the witnesses, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Jesus says, let that person be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Oh, wow. <laughs> if you were shocked earlier, right? We're kind of bit, even a bit more shocked now, aren't we? Uh, but what does it mean? Well, some, as you might expect, have taken these verses uh, to imply that a church might excommunicate someone. In other words, they might publicly shun another person who didn't repent. Let me say very clearly, I, I really don't think this passage can mean that. Because what does it say? It says, treat that person as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let me ask you, who did Jesus eat with in the Bible? He ate with tax collectors and sinners and Gentiles and outsiders. So what's this mean? This passage means that if someone won't repent, you are to communicate to them in some way, and this will be different in all sorts of churches and different settings, you're to communicate to them in some way that, that if they're not willing to seek reconciliation, be forgiven, then we're not sure whether, whether you've been forgiven by God yourself. In other words, we're to, we're to recognize that we're not to encourage that person to seek forgiveness in the relationship. We need that person firstly to seek forgiveness from God. We need to, in other words, evangelize before we disciple. Because this is what we've worked out. Forgiven people, forgive. And if you're not forgiving, maybe we need to treat you as, a, as, a, as, as someone to share Christ with. Because you might not be saved at all. If we know the forgiveness of Jesus, we want to see his forgiveness extended, bestowed in the church. And, and if some people can't do that, it may be they might not be part of the church. And as a last resort, Jesus says you're going to have to communicate that in some way. As I say, it'll look different from church to church, place to place, person to person. People are so different. It'll look very different, won't it? Different circumstances and different situations. But it's something to ponder, isn't it? What might that look like here if it, if it came to it? And, and something to ponder for us each individually, personally, how about this? How far would you go personally to encourage forgiveness and reconciliation? Would you go this far? Would you go as far as, as to shock someone and say, I, I just don't think you're a Christian because you're not, you're not engaging with forgiveness and reconciliation. Would you go as far as Jesus does? To shock a person into seeking forgiveness? And if you wouldn't go as far as Jesus goes, who's right? Jesus right? 
or you? What's wrong, him or us? Do we think forgiveness matters as much as Jesus does? These are Jesus' instructions for seeking reconciliation to bring about forgiveness. Will you follow them? They are Jesus' instructions. And they matter because there's a principle here. It's there in verse 18. Did you notice that? Look what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, this matters so much. For whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus says the church binds together disciples in a local place. We're disciples bound together here, aren't we? And Jesus says heaven is a place where disciples are bound together for eternity. That's what heaven is. And so it seems to Jesus that if you're not bound together as forgiven people on earth, the earthly slice of the heavenly reality, if you're not bound together in forgiveness here, well, you're not very well likely going to be bound together in heaven. Jesus says the church is a place where we're forgiving each other, saying, yes, we know we're forgiven. I'm going to forgive you because we're going to be part of the company forgiven in heaven. That's what we're about here. The church is declaring forgiveness of sin and seeing forgiveness at work for now and for forever. That's why we want to do this, isn't it? We want to be united and united for eternity. Well, they're hard-hitting verses, aren't they? There's lots to take in here. Um, And maybe you think, oh, Ollie, well, I need to sit down now. I can't take much more. Um, Don't give up. Uh... Some of us here are how people, and some of you say, instructions, great. Just give me instructions, and I'll do it. Okay, Ollie, you give me the instructions. So some of you here are like, great, I'll switch off now. Uh, But others of you here are why people. And some of you going, yeah, I hear this, Ollie, but I can't get on board with it until I understand why I should do this forgiveness and seek reconciliation so dramatically, as Jesus says. Well, if you're a why person, the next bit is for you. So pay attention. Having heard instructions for forgiveness, now Jesus speaks to us of the impulse behind forgiveness. Why do we forgive? Why should we seek forgiveness so much? You'll notice under the the heading there in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus. He's heard all this and he thinks, forgive? Go at forgiveness and reconciliation like this? You can't be for real, Jesus. How many times must I forgive someone? Am I really to go on forgiving again and again and again and again? And Jesus says with great hyperbole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgive again and again. And he explains it with a parable uh, that begins in verse 23. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. Uh, Now, kings in those days, we might think of a a Caesar-type figure, right? This is a Roman setting. So this is a big king. This is a Caesar-type figure, a kind of emperor. And Jesus says in this parable... The king wants to settle up his finances with his servants. So these might be regional governors. They might be regional kings, as it were. He says, right, let's settle up the money. And one is brought to him, and this person owes him 10,000 talents. Now, here is where having a Bible with footnotes is pretty good. If you've got a church Bible, you'll notice the number three there, a a little tiny little number three. Follow that to the bottom of the page. What does it say? A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. So here's a guy who has borrowed and lost 
10,000 times 20 years labor. This is a lot of money. The talent was the largest denomination of money. Now, what is the largest denomination of money we have today? Is it a 50-pound note? Did we used to have 100-pound notes? I can't remember whether that's true. Um, there is a, did you, there's a bigger denomination than 50 pounds. There is, actually, the Bank of Scotland has 100 million pound notes. It's called a Titan. And uh, it doesn't circulate, so I'm sorry, you won't be able to get hold of one. Uh, but it is used, apparently, to back up the uh, Scottish and Irish banknote system. So this guy has lost the biggest denomination of money, 10,000 Titans, almost. In other words, this is an overwhelming debt. This guy, by criminality or by corruption, has squandered enough money to blow up the king's kingdom. So the bailiffs go in, and of course the man can't pay the debt, and he pleads for forgiveness in verse 26. But Jesus says, unbelievably, even though there is the biggest mountain of debt you have ever heard of, bigger than Lehman Brothers, if you remember back then, bigger than whatever big bankruptcy you can think of, bigger than all of those. And it's forgiven. The king forgives it. He cancels the debt and lets him go free. Now, this, uh, this guy who's, who's, who's just been forgiven goes out, and he meets a servant who owes him money. It's small fry in comparison, 100 denarii. But what does he do? He chokes the servant who owes him money. Pay up, you owe me. This servant, too, pleads for mercy. But this guy says, now throw him in jail. And so the end of our parable, verse 32. Because the other servants spot this go on, and they think, rightly so, this is outrageous. <laughs> they speak to the master, and verse 32. The master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Here's this parable. Should we really forgive? Outrageously so, asked Peter. And Jesus tells this story. Forgiven people ought to forgive. God's forgiveness, the master's forgiveness, is the impulse behind our forgiveness. And if you're not forgiving, the chances are you don't have God's forgiveness behind you. Now, you, say, you might say at this point, no, Ollie, that's not the story. That's not the parable. The parable, the guy gets thrown in jail at the end. This isn't forgive because you've been forgiven. This parable seems to be forgive or else you'll get thrown in jail. I think that's it. I was helped by um, Pastor Tim Keller's reflections on this passage. Uh, he says some really helpful stuff. I'm just going to steal that and share it with you. Uh, Keller says it sounds a bit like that. Forgive or else. Forgive or go to jail. But the truth is it is forgive as you've been forgiven. It's forgive as you've been forgiven or otherwise, frankly, you imprison yourself. He says, what's it like when you won't forgive? What are you doing? In your anger, you put a wedge between yourself and others, don't you? You say their behavior was disgraceful. How dare they? I'd never do that. I'm not the same kind of person as them. They're awful. I can't believe how they did that. How monstrous. 
We lick our wounds when we won't forgive in our anger. And we tell ourselves, I'm right and they are wrong. We exclude us. We feel superior. We say, I'm not a sinner, but they are. And we caricature them and we malign them and we, frankly, we hate them. And so when we won't forgive, we're excluding ourselves from others. Actually, we're imprisoning ourselves, aren't we? And our vindictive anger makes us miserable and eats us up alive. We're torturing ourselves in jail. The man in the story ends up in jail. He's not forgiving. He hasn't actually opened himself up to God's forgiveness. He can't show it to others. He's imprisoning himself in anger. The point is, if you've really known the forgiveness of the king, you'd never do that. You'd never have yourself end up in prison. You'd share forgiveness liberally. Our forgiveness is powered by God's forgiveness. And it's there in verse 27. Just come back and look at that verse with me. Again, look, the servant pleaded with the master. And what does God do? Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, cancelled the debt, forgave him the debt. The master in this story doesn't do what we do. I'm nothing like them. I'd never do what they do. They're monsters. The master in this story doesn't do that. He has pity. His heart goes out to this man. He didn't separate himself off from his servant. He had sympathy for him. He could have excluded this sinner, kept him at a distance. But in mercy, this master, indeed God himself, drew near. It's the story of the Bible, isn't it? Jesus Christ would come so near as to be numbered as one of us. God's heart moves outward in pity. If you want to forgive, by the way, that's the big thing that's got to start changing, isn't it? Not saying I'm better than everyone else, but saying I could be just like them. I could have done that. And God considers how the other person is in danger and shows pity. God forgives the debt. He cancels the debt. And that's what forgiveness must do. Forgiveness must cancel a debt, must pay a debt. Um, Forgive this personal illustration. And um, you might notice it's a bit ironic as well. Um, While we were on holiday... Uh, these last two weeks, we um, shared our home with a couple of families, which was a great joy. And um, as children do, one of our child friend visitors uh, took a crayon to the hallway, which our kids have done plenty of times. So that this is normal, absolutely um, fine. And our friends tried to clean it up as best they could, and they told us what had happened. <clears throat> now, we could have said, uh, you better pay a painter decorator to fix the hallway. We, we could have said that. Uh, We could have said, we'll be angry and you owe us. You better make it right. We'll be angry with you until you pay. But instead, we said, kids do these things. Don't worry about it. It's forgiven. Don't worry about it. The debt was cancelled. Forgiveness meant there's something to pay there, right? So we've forgiven the debt. We haven't asked them to pay. So what what happens now? Well, either I'll get some paint and paint the wall. Or if I'm really lazy, pay someone to do it. Or we'll just say, we'll just pay for it by just looking looking at it and not worrying about it. Right? 
by the way someone pays. And that's the thing with forgiveness. Someone always pays. The king in this story was owed millions. 10,000 talents. But the king cancelled the debt, which means he paid for it himself. A loss that big could have crippled his kingdom. He said, it's going to come from my pocket. And this is the case with God, isn't it? We owe him our lives. We owe him everything we are. We've hated him. We've ignored him. A crime against a perfect God of love and beauty. It's like we put the wax crayon to God and his character. And we can't afford to put that right and get a painter decorator in. There's no way we could ever pay. But God says, I will pay. I will make reparation at the cost of my son. And I will let you go free. That is what has happened for each one of you who've been forgiven by God. And that is the impulse behind our forgiveness. God, his heart goes out to us. He cancels our debt and he lets us go free. This man is let go free, isn't he? And he should go free, overflowing with love and joy, but instead he's vindictive. He doesn't forgive. And it must mean that his heart was never open to God's forgiveness in the first place. He's trying to pay God back, isn't he? He goes around strangling everyone. He doesn't understand God's heart moved to him in pity. He never opened his heart. And this man is imprisoned in anger and God says, okay then, well you have it then. You see, you need forgiveness to be free. You need forgiveness to be free. Those who know the forgiveness of God will show forgiveness to others. So the impulse behind forgiveness, what is it? It's God's love for us. It's his forgiveness. He doesn't stand far off, though he could have. He comes near. He pays a debt we could never pay, and he sets us free. And the question for each of us this morning is, what are we doing with that? We have been set free. What are you going to do with the forgiveness you have received? Sure, relationships can be complicated. Let's not use that as an excuse. Let's see the revolution here in the Bible. The forgiveness of God transforms everything, doesn't it? We've been forgiven by God Almighty, and now we're in a company of the forgiven who share forgiveness. So as we close, let me ask you, how are you doing with Jesus' instructions to forgive? How's your heart? Have you been hurt? Have you spoken to those involved? Or are you still grumbling behind their back? Are you ready to move to others with a heart of forgiveness and not vengeance? Is there something inside making you bitter? Will you speak up about it or otherwise will you swallow it up and forgive it and pay the debt as Christ has forgiven you? Because notice the stakes here. If we can't forgive others, what does it tell us about ourselves here? It tells us that we might not have received God's forgiveness at all. Now, if that is you, it would be great to admit that as soon as possible. Because the sin and anger you hold against others, well, you hold it against God too. But here's the truth of this parable. God is the king of Jesus' parable. If you come to him for mercy, he will pay your debt himself. He will set you free from prison. And he will give you life in Christ, freedom. Freedom from that anger, that exclusion, that separation. 
He'll give you freedom. He'll give you friendship. And he'll give you forgiveness with himself and a company to be part of, the forgiven of God. Would you like to be part of that? Would you like to feel safe and secure in God's forgiven family? I would. And I hope you'd like to join me and us as we attempt to do that together. Should we pray? Uh, Father, there's much in here that is hard-hitting. Father God, your instructions hit us hard. And we confess maybe that we're, we're not always willing to go as far in reconciliation and forgiveness as you are. Uh, Father, your parable here strikes us as well. And it cuts us to the heart. The forgiven forgive. So, Father, help us this day. Maybe there are people we need to go and speak to. Help us to do that today. Maybe there's folks we need to come alongside. Maybe there's conversations we need to have. Might we take your instructions seriously? And might we be captivated by the power of your Holy Spirit with the impulse behind forgiveness of that mountain of debt that the Lord God Almighty has taken and laid at the foot of the cross? Might we be captivated by that this day and therefore filled with a joy and a hunger to share that forgiveness with others. We ask that in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.